Imagine if the conversations you're having with yourself were like conversations at a party and the loudest guest was fear. My guest on the Reset podcast today is Dr. Amy Silver. She's a clinical psychologist and she's written an insightful new book called The Loudest Guest. And it's all about our reactions to fear and how fear can dominate the conversations if we let it. All right, so welcome to the Reset Podcast. Dr. Amy Silver, is it good being you? Ah, I'm pretty happy at the moment, Luke. Yeah. Aren't you? Kids are back at school. That's all it takes for me to be happy. (laughs) Get the little (laughs) bastards out of here and we're happy. You also have a little baby that's just come out recently, which has just been a fantastic book that I can see up there on the bookshelf behind you. It's called The Loudest Guest. Tell me all about, I've I've read it, but tell the listeners all about The Loudest Guest. I called it The Loudest Guest because it's, it's all about fear, which is a real primary emotion for most of us. But when it gets really loud in our head and it's very consuming, it tells us what to do. It demands us to act in a way which is risk averse. And I know that myself, um, I've been plagued by my loudest guest of fear um, all my life. I'm really in tune with it. I've got a really close relationship with it. I understand what it wants from me and too often I listened to it and I did what it wanted me to do and so I called it the loudest guest because I I really want it to be um just people to be aware of how controlling it can be Mm -hmm. um and how it can pull us off what what we actually want it actually takes us further away from most of our goals so, yeah, that's what the book is about. I, I was explaining to my daughter just before we, we started recording this this um, podcast and I was explaining to her that I was really excited this this lady, Dr. Amy Silvers, wrote this book called The Loudest Guest and I, I gave her a little bit about the metaphor about there's a party going on in your head. And, yeah, and <laughs> there's a party going on in your head and the loudest guest is fear and and fear has this ability to dominate the conversation and can ruin the party. And she's yeah. gone, wow, that sounds like a grown-up version of Inside Out. And I've gone, <laughs> I've exactly. gone, wow, it kind of is, but it's way smarter and way cooler than Inside Out. No, it's really funny. It's really, it's really um that same idea that um, you know, if we allow any of our emotions, but it just so happens that fear is usually the one that's in control. If we let any of our emotions guide us, we're kind of missing a trick because we've got so many different um, emotions that we could listen to. And if we let them have a front seat, uh, you know, potentially we'd see um, a, the same situation in, in a whole different light. And that means that we've got flexibility over our choices rather than just being dominated a, a really interesting thing that's happened as a consequence of the book which I didn't think it would like I thought that people who would be attracted to this book would be, be those people who were aware that they wanted to step into a more courageous self and they right was that your intent when you when you started yeah, that, writing it yeah that that wasn't completely my intent was to to help um to help do that but what's interesting is people are reading it and I identifying fears that they didn't realize that they had so uh, I thought they had because they already knew but they don't so you know when when fear is really in control of us we don't even know that it's doing it 
So it's kind of the loudest guest and it's also the, a sort of quiet one that's just subliminally yeah. throwing yeah. things into the equation as well. Yeah. and once It's you a really sneaky like, little bastard, isn't it? It, it is. Fear is a sneaky little bastard. <laughs> and once you realise, you know, that it's the one guiding you, then you've got a choice to separate well, what do I want and what does fear want? And, and that's when we can actually evaluate whether what fear has to say is good or not. Because obviously fear has got a whole heap of really good things to say. Mm-hmm. Like, it keeps know, us safe. and It keeps us safe and it helps us avoid, you know, stupid risks. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a really good guide for us. But it's no more of a guide than hope or excitement or love or gratitude or any of the other emotions that we've got as other guests at our party. So just telling fear to sit down for a while while you converse with one of your other guests is Mm -hmm. a useful way to just establish, well, do I actually want to do exactly what fear wants me to do or could I um, think about this in a different way? Yeah, you made made one of the points in the the book that really resonated with me was that you kind of, you sort of, instead of pushing fear away, you kind of thanked it, said, okay, let's let's have a little cuddle with my fear and, yeah, it's okay. I know you're there to protect me, but yeah, you can go sit down now. I'm going to have a talk to joy and courage and and things like that. And yeah. I love the way you kind of, you know, um, some there's a line that Tim Tim Ferriss used once that was like, sometimes um, I wrestle with my insecurities and sometimes we snuggle. And I <laughs> guess you you kind of do that with fear a little bit too, don't you? That you've yeah, got to I, sort I, of have a cuddle with it. I think that the the hardest thing with emotions is when we pretend that we're not experiencing them or we we get so uncomfortable with them that we start to fear them. And if we fear fear, um, that is where fear gets so much power from. So fearing fear is no good. Denying fear is really bad as well because what, what can happen then is it, it rugby tackles us to the floor and it comes out at a point where actually we don't need it or we don't want it or it's really damaging. So you know, in a work context, um, you know, we can suddenly snap at somebody or we can um, be just really irritable or we can just really say no to something that actually is a really great opportunity. And the, those are the times that we really don't want fear to be in control. But if we haven't built a relationship with fear where we can sort of learn to soothe it and say, I know you're frightened. I know you want me to pull back. I know you want me to calm down. I know you want me to to avoid, but I want you to calm down. Mm-hmm. Then we can start to build this sort of discussion and um, sort of compassion for our fear, you know, and sort of say, I'm really grateful you're here because if you weren't here, you know, goodness knows what happens. And that perspective is really important because it guides me and it gives me a opinion. But that's what it is, is it's one opinion um, and I, I need to decide how much weight I give you today. Um, I have an alter ego and my alter ego's name is Carlos and Carlos okay. is a spectacularly fantastic man and Carlos doesn't feel too much fear at all and Carlos is wonderful. Luke's, Luke feels it all the time and Luke has, you know, imposter syndrome and stuff that everyone else has. And um, I recently, um, Peter Cook, a mutual friend of ours, put us onto a book called The Alter Ego Effect and I, it, it's amazing that I read that just before I started reading your book, and there was a little light, little bit of it that was like, yeah, when the student's ready, the teacher will come. And I've, <laughs> I've been Carlos for a lot of years, but there was something about your book and the alter ego effect was just 
giving yourself that little bit of distance between you and your fear? And was that something you were trying to get get through with the book? Yeah, I mean, my background is that I'm a psychologist and one of the theories that I'm very, you know, uh, practised in and understand really well is acceptance commitment therapy. Yeah. And the main sort of message within that is to separate our experiences of um, fear from our choice of action and that we don't have to fuse what what our thoughts say with what we say so our thoughts right. are and our emotions are uh our experiences but they're not all of us you know they're not mm-hmm. they're not us we can we can defuse um ourselves from our thoughts and our feelings to move into a more powerful position and and to some extent the alter ego idea is is perfect because that gives you a really clear um tangible experience of running the same life you're still you you're still in this body in that life but you've managed to change the perspective with which you you travel through it and that puts you in a a different behavioral set Mm. and so it's a good live experiment of well what if I was this person what would I do well you actually uh, um you have a thing called the uh, is it called the two chairs yeah, the, two, using chair the yeah. two chair. I thought that I, I I even did it myself, and I felt like a complete gummy <laughs> when I was doing it. But actually, once I got into it, I'm like, yeah, okay, that is that's the guest in my party. That's what he's saying. And how often has that thought been in my head without me ever questioning it? And can you explain everyone what the what the two chairs is? Sure. So it's it's a technique that again comes from therapy, but the idea is that we are trying to externalize our internal narrative and from that perspective then we can evaluate it better and we can kind of go well do I like that internal conversation that I'm having and who is it that I'm having this conversation with and when we externalize we we get that beautiful perspective so the the two chair technique is really you, you you set up two chairs and you can do this metaphorically you can do this in your head or you can it's much easier with the pen and paper um, you know, two different color pens. You can do, you know, one voice mm-hmm. versus another voice, or you can do, you know, the classic, which is the two chairs. The fly on the wall with me doing it with the two chairs was laughing enormously. He thought it was hilarious because <laughs> um, I looked like <laughs> yeah. a complete idiot. Yeah, you don't want to record it. Um, no. But um, it's it's basically challenging yourself to take, okay, well, you know, when you get caught with um, what fear says or, or, you know, in this circumstance and one of the chairs or one of the pen colors um, you, you use to de- to be the fear voice mm-hmm. and you switch out of that into the other chair or the other pen color and become you and you with your goals. And just having a conversation between you and the fear voice, you know, you want this. What does fear say? And you switch position or you switch pens and you have a conversation and you externalize what has been internal mm-hmm. so that you can actually look at it and kind of go whoa you know that that voice that fear voice is using some harsh language yeah that is, there is critical there's a lovely a lovely concept too of a, a, a concept that it's it's like that solomon's paradox that he would give great advice to other people but would never give advice to himself and i, th- I think that two chair 
sort of experiment kind of gets rid of that. It's same with the alter ego effect and yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. But um, Ethan Cross at University of Michigan did some great work on in fMRIs and got people to refer to themselves in the third person and found different parts of their brain lit up. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of sort of science that's sort of saying the things that you're saying, there's there's yes. physical things going on in your head that are explaining that as well. It's really quite cool. One of the other things I loved about loved about the book was fats. Can you can you tell me all of F A T S? F A T S fats. Yeah, tell me about fats. So what can happen, and this is again part of getting closer to this internal narrative that we walk around with every day is that the fear voice becomes so automatic. Um, we think that it's a very justified voice. You know, we think it's, you know, so we kind of go, you know, there's an opportunity to speak up in a meeting or something and, and you know, automatically the fear voice goes, don't embarrass yourself, don't, don't say that, don't ask that question. You know, it's a very automatic uh, voice that comes in and we just don't put our hand up or we don't raise that point or we mm-hmm. say we, don't, we you know we don't say we don't understand or ask for clarification or whatever it is we we just respond to that fear voice and it's so automatic that we can't even hear it anymore it's just it's just part of it's almost like we're in the meeting we don't put our hand up that and part of what we've got to do is get closer to that internal narrative where we can hear it enough to then get into this discussion with him. That you recognise it. So that you can recognise it and start to go, okay, do I want it? You know, how is it helping me? Um, And so the FAT diary is a way of tracking your fear automatic thinking. So fear fear, automatic thinking, FAT. So it's understanding what your defaults are, what you go to without even planning it and trying to. Yeah, and what fear is, fear is telling you so quickly that you can't even hear it. And again, once we understand, and there are so many examples where your fear comes in super quick and says, don't cross the road now, you know, and we kind of are very grateful of that automatic thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of kills us. So we, it's a very good thing that it's so fast and it's so immediate and we respond so quickly. What we're trying to do with the fat diary is, get closer to understanding the patterns of our fear automatic thinking mm-hmm. so that we've moving ourselves into that position of choice um, okay. rather than just reacting. So it's a bit like utilising habit loops, isn't it? You get that trigger at the start and then to be able to pick the action that you want to do after that trigger, is that? Yeah, absolutely. It's getting closer to understanding these habits that we have and trying to question that fear voice to go because what happens when we do the fear diary I'm sure, I don't know if you've had a chance to do any but you start to realize that a lot of your fears will have a really similar theme so you mentioned like imposter syndrome or something a lot of the even though you may experience the fear in lots of different circumstances at lots of different times there'll be a really core theme that usually comes back to sort of stories that you've had from your childhood or um, relationships that you've had or something that's pretty kind of set you actually you actually mentioned in it too that sometimes when you start questioning it you the words almost start to sound like a parent or a big sister or a almost words that you recognize from someone else is that is that a really common thing as well that she's like my fear voice sounds exactly like my dad or something like that yeah and and you know initially when when I ask people to sort of try and give it 
uh, a color you know is it is it a male or a female voice is it an older or young is it somebody in particular is it their voice you know sometimes people find find it really difficult to track that but the closer that we build this understanding of well who talks like that you know um or who, who who has given me that advice before um who has made me feel like this before we we build up this kind of ah oh, that's why that's that, why that pathway's been ingrained for a few years because of that yeah and, and then we can sort of you know sometimes it's as simple as once we discover it we kind of go oh I don't need that anymore you know I'm carrying it around it's really automatic but I don't need it and other times we kind of go okay well they're there you know good for me that I um I'm able to live with that voice and I want to now um turn towards a way of of moving past it and we we treat ourselves with compassion we treat the voice with compassion there's a reason why it's stuck in our head um but we don't need to keep carrying it we can work on this and move through yeah, it nice i really i really like that the one one of the stories i loved about it was um you getting an award at soccer yeah <laughs> all right i got have you got it no show me i want to see the award <laughs> But um, oh, look at you go. Very impressive. <laughs> the Coaches Award, I won a million of them over the journey because I, I, I had zero talent. I'm, I'm really uncoordinated and a bit of a Gumby and all of that sort of stuff, but I always tried really, really hard. And when I was reading your, when I was reading your book, I'm like, That's, she's like me. She, she's a Gumby <laughs> as well. But I don't know, there's something good about there's something good about coaches awards for people that don't have talent. So did, yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me about soccer. Was it because you don't start playing uh, soccer when you're in your thirties. That's just a really weird thing to do. No, so tell me I'm about 40, that. Yeah, I'm 48 and I, and I think I started um, two years ago. So it was, wow. a, a, rash, it was a rash move uh, because we've got three kids and my youngest is a boy and the two eldest are, are girls. And, um, we introduced the boy to soccer and I suddenly thought, oh, I haven't ever in all the other sports that we've kind of introduced to the girls, introduced them to soccer. And I suddenly felt that was a, a bias that I had, didn't know that I oh. had. And I'm, I'm very kind of conscious about gender biases. Um, mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh, that's wrong. So he, he went into soccer school and I thought the only way to write this and to, balance it out into a role model to the girls um I need to join so and, and I think a lot of the time we were both on a, on a call just before um and I was talking about something else but a lot of the time now I use my fear as a guide so I use it in a way that's you know rather than when I hear it it wants me to avoid and pull back I kind of go I hear it and I go oh I think I have to move forward so I, I sort of use the fear. You've changed that pattern, haven't you? You've changed yeah, that I, fear, I'm going to listen to it, to fear, I'm going to question it, get curious and work out which way I want to go. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, that was a moment for me with soccer was kind of going, oh, I really don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> and then going, 
What's that about? You know, what is that about? Because we all take up a new team sport at 46 because that's yeah. just a normal thing to do. No, I mean, I hardly even knew which way the goal was, you know. Like I always forget as I'm playing. Which way I'm playing. Um, <laughs> hey, don't pass it to you too often then. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I def- definitely have changed my relationship with fear and I, and I continue to and I know that there's so many more beautiful things that will come as I start to understand how fear gets in my way and and sidestep it as much as I can there's a whole heaps of fears that I'm no nowhere near moving through mm-hmm. uh, I, I really do not want to jump out of a plane um you know there's a lot of physical things uh still that I'm really um quite nervous about uh and at the moment I'm okay with that so you know there's there's still lots of places to move with my fear and and I just and I love it because it's almost like a flag to go hey Yeah, here it is. I I remember reading a book back in the 90s. I think it was Susan Jeffers wrote a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yeah. And there's a couple of bits of your book that had a little tinge of that, but it's like it's okay to feel it. It's all right to feel feel scared about this. Yeah, it's so weird that we've all kind of got into this position of thinking that it's sort of bad to feel fear. Yeah. Is, isn't it? I, th- I feel the same. I, I do a lot of my work about stress and how stress is yeah. actually a good thing and we need it. You know, if you, you don't stress, you don't ever fall in love. You don't ever try something new. You don't yeah. ever play soccer at 46. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, yeah. And it's that a, sense that like the feeling, the actual physical feelings of excitement are no different from the actual physical feelings of fear. Yeah. So it is all... Uh, up for debate you know in terms of what you do about this and and how you perceive it and it's a skill that we can learn and I think that's the other bit that surprises me that we aren't getting better uh well we are I think children are way better than we are don't you feel that with um no no I'm I'm, I'm gonna push back on you that one I probably don't I, I think one of the things is that um, they've grown up in this sort of instant gratification that everything you get, you get straight away. And so you don't get that sort of discomfort of, you know, oh, I feel left out and all whatever because yeah. we we've, we fix we've their problems all straight away and, we, and yeah. we've sort of got them into that thing. And I think also there's, there's something about kids too at the moment. I think they know more emojis than they do words for emotions. And so they throw things like fear and stress around as, as ways to describe everything and it might be disappointment they're describing or or you know feeling left out or whatever and they don't they throw it into a bundle and and fear and stress are probably two of the biggest bundle and anxiety the other one with kids is they they label everything anxiety and it's my anxiety it's like having you know another ear it's like something I've got and I've yeah, I think I think we have a lot of work to do as as parents moving forward to be able to get kids to talk about things like fear and yeah. anxiety and stress in a way that's actually a bit more helpful. Yeah, that's so so powerful. I think um, yeah, my my kids are just definitely way more in touch with things like mindfulness and relaxation and yoga than we ever were as kids. Mm. So they've got that familiarity with it. But I I I completely agree. That they are they are in a weird spot at the moment. We actually were talking. Well, their their mum's too busy going off playing soccer to. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's not even there. <laughs> um, but I think I do think we actually we were talking recently about maybe making a children's version of the loudest guest. Uh, which yeah, would, I love it. You know, it is a very 
um, it is a good metaphor for them and they understand it quite quickly, maybe because they've seen the, um, you know, the, uh, what was the movie? Um, Inside Out. Inside Out. Inside Out. Um, but they get that theory. They get, they get that idea. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd love to do a children's version. Yeah, I'm actually writing a little fable book at the moment. It's going to be a really small one. I'm writing it with a friend of my daughter's who's 18, so she's just finished school. And they had, they had a friend take their own life with suicide when she was like 15, which was just horrendous. But they all, they all stuck together and they all helped each other through it. And, you know, it's still sad and, and I'm writing it with her and it's going to be called Reset. And it's about how to, con- how to control, alt and delete those feelings and what's going on. And, to, yeah. and that's part of why it's called the Reset Podcast as well. But there's something amazing of people that are getting out there and helping people look at things a different way and embracing the world in a different way. And you're certainly doing that. And it's been a pleasure having you on the Reset Podcast oh, today. Amy Silver, you're, you're, you're a champion. Thanks for having me, Lou. Lovely to talk to you.